Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Kaha. Good morning, Kaha. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at the major ransomware attack that targeted Cyberport. The Tech Hub revealed yesterday that the personal data of staff and job applicants was found on the dark web after a more than $2 million blackmail demand by hacking group Trigona in late August. The large leak is also believed to include lease agreements, audit reports and credit card details. But Cyberport defended its delay in, rele- in, in revealing the ransomware attack, insisting there was initially no evidence of data misuse. So how common are such cases in Hong Kong? Are local firms adequately trained to deal with such incidents? And should they act faster than Cyberport in notifying victims? Later in the program, we're going to hear about a call to conserve farmland in the future northern metropolis. Let us know what you think on both topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. We will have several guests uh, joining us this morning uh, to discuss the uh, Cyberport data data breach, uh, starting with uh, lawmaker Johnny Ng, who is on the line now. Good morning, Mr. Ng. Welcome to Backchat. Good morning, Mr. Ng. Hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. We can hear you. Uh, Welcome to Backchat. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ng, can you hear us? Okay, well, while we, uh, while we establish that, uh, let me just um, bring in a bit more background about uh, the uh, data breach at uh, Cyberport. Hi. Hello, Mr. Ng. Can you hear us? Hi. Yes, oh, yes. yes. Uh, uh, good morning, Mr. Ng. Um, what, is, what is your initial reaction to how Cyberport has handled this incident? What, 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 what's your feelings? Uh, yeah, for this instance, uh, the data leakage from Cyberport uh, I have few uh, feelings about that. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, they take a quite a long time uh, to respond. Uh, uh, this incident was happened in uh, August uh, 18, right? They aware the case and report to police and also the Office of Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data. Um, however, uh, for all the victims, including their staff, and also the um, tenants or incubators uh, of cyberport has uh, cannot be uh, informed any uh, informations about the case. Uh, what information may be leaked or how to uh, impact of them? Uh, afterwards, uh, just uh, a few days ago, uh, they found that their leakage um, of some financial information like credit card numbers and also bank information, those may be uh, some financial loss of them by the hacker or other crimes created so that uh, they are upset about the, the response times to them. Uh, first is the first things. About the second things is, um, you know, the hackers uh, always here. Uh, they will try to attack uh, all, not only Hong Kong, right? Other countries as well all the uh, enterprise or governments uh, entities so i think the security um cyber security um the sense and how the knowledge and also the applications of uh any know-how or state of art know-how is important for all the entities uh, including a cyber post which is the flagship uh, entities of uh, technology in hong kong so i think um um, once the things happen, I think how to 
cover and how to protect uh, more batters uh, in the future, right? Oh, thank you, Johnny. Uh, I would like to ask, do you think uh, Cyberport like, covered this thing for uh, such a long time? As you said, they took a long time to respond. What do you think the reason about it? Is it because they want to like protect the reputation or they may think they can handle it like before public knows it? Um, according uh, to my knowledge uh, uh, from them, the, they, are, they don't didn't know uh, oh. which data or how large uh, the inference areas or which part of data has been leakaged or lost. So they, they didn't know how, how to, which one they have to inform. So that it is uh, the uh, answer from them. But uh, to my understanding, I think, um, which server or the share hard disk they uh, know, which is uh, attacked by other parties, the third party of hackers, uh, they know all information inside. Mm. Uh, I think they can do more better to inform all those people inside here uh, to let them know uh, maybe there's some leakage of the data. Mm. Now, uh, some people are saying that Cyberport should pay compensation to the victims whose uh, data w- was leaked. What's your opinion about that? Uh, right now in Hong Kong, there are no regulations or law which need uh, the entities for the uh, leakage to compensate the victims. Uh, so I think uh, in Hong Kong, we don't have that uh, case before. Uh, so maybe we can, uh, for this case to happen, to collect more information from the public uh, to discuss about the legislative uh, issues, whether we need to have other uh, law or new regulations to protect more about the victim of data. Yes, it's a very interesting issue, isn't it? In Hong Kong, we have laws about data privacy, but as you said, they don't say anything about compensation. From what I understand, what some people are saying, in China, they do have laws, and in Singapore as well, laws uh, which um, require compensation. Do do you think Hong Kong is behind if uh, places like China and Singapore have these laws on compensation and we don't? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, actually, I think uh, we can discuss, uh, we can gather more information from the public. And if uh, most of the uh, uh, stakeholders in Hong Kong feel it is uh, really have to put in more data, and also Hong Kong now is coming to transform to a digital economy, mm. I think uh, those cases will be happen again and again, maybe. So um, the company or government entities need to invest more and do more protections to off data. So I think uh, we can discuss about that to make a new law uh, later on in the legislative councils. It sounds to me like you're still quite cautious about compensation. That we can, there's something we can discuss. You're not sure whether it's a good idea or not in Hong Kong. You want to hear more information first. Is that right? Yes, because we, we need to uh, think about all the impact to all the entities because uh, how the amounts of penalties, in, you know, as in Singapore, there's a fixed amount uh, each uh, victims have to compensate or so the penalty to the entities. For those large entities with, with over millions of uh, uh, users, uh, all those data, uh, how much we charge on the penalties, which we need to discuss more details. Hmm. Uh, as you also said, like hackers are always there. Like the target is not only 
uh, towards Hong Kong is everywhere. So what what do you think we can do as a citizens to 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 protect our data? Because as you also said, like cyber cyber security is important, and we are now going into the digital era. Actually, so we need to like use computer or use a shared drive like all the time. So do you think education is important on this aspect? Yes, really, it is most important for the public education to arouse the awareness of the cyber crimes and uh, especially not to open those unfamiliar emails or some phishing mm. emails or some sort message. Uh, all those are, you know, the hackers use a lot of new uh, methodologies to let the users to click on the link, which is the phishing uh, email. So the public education is important, especially to the large uh, uh, organizations like uh, Cyberport or other government. Or, we already uh, mentioned. We already mentioned about compensation and uh, you said maybe we can discuss changing the law. Are there any other changes to the law we should make also? We, we have, after all, we have laws on data privacy in Hong Kong as well. Um, do, do, do we need um, new laws or are the laws basically okay? I think uh, for the digital economy, we need to have law to protect uh, all the personal data uh, to increase the awareness. And also the penalty to get us to uh, let the uh, organizations to do the maybe the um, continuous monitoring control uh, of their uh, in-house uh, rules, like the security management framework and also the governance and risk management uh, compliance, something like that. Uh, I think we can do more guidance uh, to let the organizations to up, up, uplift their uh, protection in cyber crimes. Okay, thank you very much. That was uh, lawmaker Johnny Ng. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Backchat this morning. Uh, with, uh, uh, lawmaker Johnny Ng was uh, on, joining us on Backchat to discuss uh, this ransomware attack on uh, Cyberport. Uh, just a reminder of what happened there. The, the ransomware attack itself took place in the middle of August, uh, but uh, Cyberport only uh, revealed it last week, and um, it was only admitted yesterday that the data has actually been leaked on the uh, dark web. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this topic, do email us at backchat at rthk. HK, or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Uh, we're now joined by uh, two more guests uh, to discuss uh, this uh, this um, ransomware attack and more generally the issue of cybersecurity in Hong Kong. We have Emil Chan, who's the chair of the Association of Cloud and Mobile Computing Professionals and adjunct professor at City University of Hong Kong. And Sean Duca, who is vice president and regional chief security officer for APAC and Japan for pa Palo Alto Networks. Uh, good morning and Welcome to Back Chat, uh, Sean Duca. Uh, maybe let's go to you first, as you are a, <laughs> as you are a security officer and um, uh, looking at uh, what happened. Something went seriously wrong at Cyberport, didn't it? Um, uh, with the, the, I think a member of the board has now come out and admitted that um, they suspect human error and perhaps a uh, shared drive was to blame. Is, is that kind of thing very common in the, these kind of incidents? I think a lot of the times what we end up seeing is an organization when they do actually uh, discover that something's actually gone uh, gone wrong, uh, the investigation starts at that point. And it's pretty hard to really sort of ascertain exactly what did happen, uh, you know, how the intruders would have got inside the organization. So a, a lot of the work is going to be happening now and it could actually extend for the next few weeks ahead. So a lot of the times it's more around how do you actually prepare for something like that to take place? How do you, how do you actually prepare in the event of something like this happening? And how would you respond? 
So I think it's good to see that they are actually now coming forward. Uh, they're going to have very limited information. And I think until they start to investigate and understand a little bit more, information is going to be quite sparse right now. Um, and the reports are that there were actually multiple cyber attacks on Cyberport and that they did actually manage to um, they managed to, to stop the other ones. It was this one that got through. Again, it, presumably that's par for the course. These kind of organisations, they don't try, just try once. They, they keep trying until they succeed, don't they? Absolutely. An attacker has to be right only once, uh, whereas yeah. we need to be right all the time. And it, no matter how many times we can actually ensure that, you know, something is, you know, we've put the locks on the, on the, uh, the crown jewels and we're protecting who gets access to what. We always need to ensure that, you know, we are prepared uh, around how do we actually detect something like this from happening? How do we ensure that we can prevent anything that we actually know from uh, any sort of known types of attacks? But then ultimately, if something does go wrong, how do we respond? How do we recover as well? Mm. So, uh, for this point, like, what do you think government can do or cyber work can do next? The biggest thing is we don't really understand how big or small the problem is. And whilst oh. ransomware attacks have been increasing, and if I think about the work that our Threat Intelligence Group Unit 42 have been doing, we've seen that Hong Kong has gone from number 10 on the list of organisations, or sorry, countries in Asia Pacific, to now number seven. So obviously ransomware is quite lucrative for cyber criminals. Mm. We've seen them sort of go up in terms of their ranking, which indicates the rising threat towards the, the city of Hong Kong. I think the next part is more around what government can do is ensure that there is some form of reporting in place to work out how big of a problem really is it. Because we know that some people will actually respond and, and report this to law enforcement or to government agencies. But in the end, you think about it, how many people actually do come forward and report that? If you look at the worldwide, we've seen that you know, this is a multi-billion dollar problem in terms of cybercrime. And that really comes down to based on what we actually know. So who's actually come forward? Who's reported this? And you can turn around and say, half the time, maybe people don't report this. Sometimes people fear that you know, they've done something wrong. They don't want to come across as they've actually you know, left the front door open. So they feel like they actually just go into the shadows and don't actually report it at all. Let's... I think it's key that government actually sets up some sort of reporting structure. Yes. Uh, let's uh, bring in uh, uh, the, our other guest in the segment, e Emil Chan, who's the chair of the Association of Cloud and uh, Mobile Computing Professionals, adjunct professor at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Mr. Chan, we're very interested in your views uh, generally on the cyber attack, but let's just follow up on that reporting issue. I mean, it's, uh, I used to teach data uh, protection law. It's been a while ago, but from what I remember, there is something in the law that does require people to report data, uh, data breaches, isn't there? There's at least some sort of requirement. Yes, uh, but uh, uh, my uh, opinion is that uh, the law, the personal uh, uh, data protection law, uh, was introduced uh, before the internet was uh, used. <laughs> so the well, it has uh, has been amended, hasn't it, since then? But uh, you still say it's, well, it's written, it's based yeah. on the pre-internet age, right? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's not uh, to that extent. Uh, it's not up to the standard that we uh, expected. So uh, while uh, uh, in the, uh, the uh, European Union, mm. uh, we have the GDPR, and uh, in the November of 2021, uh, in China, uh, we have the PIPL, uh, they have a very rigid and uh, very... Uh, Heavy, uh, uh, this, uh, how do you say the, uh, uh, is that the fine? Uh, very, 
the fine, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the if, if you breach the law and not report uh, the incident to uh, the responsible party. In Hong Kong, it's not such a case. So what we learned from the Cafe Pacific incident uh, that uh, you know nobody are uh, uh, subject to any uh, serious uh, or criminal uh, uh, execution. So in such a case, uh, we we need to upgrade or enhance the law uh, as soon as possible. And on the other hand, uh, particularly for the uh, uh, these uh, sizable company, uh, my opinion is that uh, we have to require them to buy uh, insurance, like uh, the third party insurance, you know, in, uh, for the uh, traffic uh, transportation, right? So yeah. if we require them to buy and uh, the insurance company will require those uh, uh, company to have uh, a, a health check, at least. Uh, at the moment, nobody knows what actually has happened uh, within this uh, incident uh, in detail. So, the, and in my, uh, based on my experience, because I was a banker, I run, uh, I ran this, uh, uh, the, the, the regional operation system for uh, a sizable bank in the past. And uh, based on my observation, uh, it is a share drive, consists of more than 400 gig of data and being attacked, uh, you know, to download all data. So that means it is not uh, individual's failure or individual's uh, uh, misconduct or whatever. Uh, it must be, you know, on the, uh, you know, higher level, there must be an operational error that a hacker can hack in and get the administration right and download all the data out. So, so in such a case, yeah. Yeah, you're saying it's not an individual error unless an error right at the top because an individual wouldn't have had access to the whole database, right? So if it was individual exactly, error, you exactly. only get, they'd only get part of it. So it must be something more systematic, maybe. Or it could be an individual error by an administrator, an IT professional or something who had access to the whole, whole thing. But um, it sounds like it's some, something much more serious is what you're saying. Well, if it is so uh, critical, the data, I won't, uh, uh, under the policy, it, it won't allow one individual, uh, you know, to have the rights to, to do everything. So if it's not uh, in the policy and nobody followed that policy, uh, then uh, it will be a uh, human error or, uh, you know, the observation of it. So that's why if there's a, a third party, if there's an auditor, uh, that uh, they observe that situation uh, periodically, uh, such an incident will not happen. And one thing I, I, I believe that uh, there is also a higher chance that, uh, you know, one or more than one of the uh, internal staff, you know, they are involved in such a case. Uh, normally, uh, you know, they, they might be uh, 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 by intention, they, they did that uh, thing out. So uh, I'm not quite sure that, uh, you know, because I'm, uh, I overheard that uh, in the uh, Cafe Pacific incident, there are some uh, stuff they are unhappy with uh, their uh, whatever uh, uh, cut of salary or change of uh, role. Uh, so they just uh, make a, a sort of a time bomb or whatever to make that incident happen in the past. So okay. I'm not ruling out this uh, 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 chance uh, in this case uh, with the cyberport. Oh, okay. So that's why, like, making the law or the third-party insurance, like, maybe a choice for for like helping to protect the data. Uh, but also, Admiral, yes. I, I I would yes. like to. We must. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, I would like to ask about like what about uh cryptonized um data because like NFT or blockchain is actually like quite a trend and it's the future like how the digital uh, industry going I, like we will we will try to develop more about this aspect. So what do you think about like cryptonized uh, the data and then send it through or like put it on the share drive even share drive then it will not affect because you need to uncryptonize that afterwards. Well, it's uh, the right word is applying cryptography uh, technology, you know, to 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 secure the data. So I do believe that uh, such a practice is already there with uh, this uh, traditional way. Uh, I don't think that uh, you know the data are encrypted at all. Uh, the trouble is that uh, uh, as long as a hacker uh, uh, managed to get uh, uh, the private keys. Uh, you know, that for the administrator's private key. And, uh, yeah. this, even though you, you are uh, applying a cryptography or whatever, uh, this uh, blockchain technology, they still have a chance to oh. get the data out in such a case. But of course, uh, if the system is quite sophisticated by design, <laughs> they are segregation of duty, they are, you know, decentralized, uh, 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 by design, uh, on the storage of data, you know, the chance is such a, such a case that can be avoided, I believe. Okay, let's go back to uh, Sean Duca, who's Regional Chief Security Officer um, at Palo Alto Networks. And Sean, perhaps we could pick up a bit more on the hackers themselves. As I mentioned, the hackers is, is a Trigona ransomware. Um, and if they haven't just attacked Cyberport, I mean, they've attacked uh, or elsewhere in the world. Maybe can you tell us a bit more about them? Yeah, absolutely. From uh, from a lot of the work that we've seen, their infrastructure has been around for a while. So the uh, the service that they use around the world is something that has been set up. Uh, they've been uh, active, and what we saw towards the back end of last year, they were successful in probably compromising about 15 different organisations. And they'll continue to do this, and this is something that you know, around the globe, they're not going to target one particular country or anything like that. They're going to keep on going and targeting you know, various types of organizations and the groups they also, the organizations they like to target typically have been in the high tech sector. Uh, they always like to target manufacturing, finance, construction, agriculture, and marketing organizations. And a lot of the times that's more a case of if they can find, let's just call it a, a perfect target in that sector, they'll actually go off and start to start to compromise that organization. Their attacks or the way that they get inside the organization have typically been a little bit novel, so a little bit different to what most other ransomware groups do. They use their own, you know, software so they can basically get that onto the organization's network, onto the particular systems. They'll find a weaker system. They'll start to install their software and start to spread it out inside the organization. They'll encrypt the data. Uh, they've already got their own leak websites set up. So in the event that they're trying to, you know, coerce and really push that organization to pay, they turn around and say, hey, we've got your data and we're going to post it uh, and it's available on the, on the leak site. You've got X amount of hours or days to actually pay uh, the ransom. So they're very sophisticated in the way that they're doing it. They're not just simply smashing a door down and you know, encrypting the data and that's it and hoping for the best. They're actually thinking about it in a methodical way. And they would, it sounds like you're saying they would have targeted Cyberport because it represents tech. I mean, Cyberport's actually not a tech firm itself, but it's a landlord basically, but because they represent tech firms. Yeah, and if you think about the type of organization it is, it's one of those target one to potentially get access to many as well. Uh, that's something that is quite lucrative to a cybercrime group because they can easily get access to, you know, I'll say easy, they can get access to an organization and then from there, 
they can effectively get access to many other organizations because they've got into one. Okay, so uh, it's uh, these kind of, I mean, because uh, looking internationally, uh, Cyberport in Hong Kong can't have been that high on their targets. It's any organization is potentially a, a target because the cybercrime group is always going to cast their net as far and wide as they possibly can. And anyone that, come, that falls into that net, they're effectively going to be prey. And that's the way that they operate. They don't distinguish between you know, is it a good, bad, indifferent organization? Is it a critical infrastructure organization? Okay. Is it a hospital? Um, you know, is it a not-for-profit group? Okay. Anyone is potentially up for grabs. I, everyone has something of value. Just interrupt you there because we're going to take a uh, short break for the news, but we are going to continue this interesting discussion on the uh, ransomware attack on Cyberport after the news. Uh, so do stay with us and let us know your thoughts. Um, you can email us at backchat at rthklihk or leave a message on our Facebook page. Uh, let's have the weather forecast. And most importantly, a red rainstorm warning and the thunderstorm warning are both up. The weather is bad, cloudy with showers and thunderstorms. Those showers sometimes going to be heavy maximum temperature is going to be 29 degrees currently it's 26 degrees relative humidity 97 percent it's 9 30 here's Haley with the news Education officials have closed full day and morning only schools after the observatory issued the red rainstorm warning signal this morning. The red signal took effect just before 6 o'clock this morning. In the past couple of hours, more than 50 millimeters of rainfall was recorded over the eastern part of Hong Kong Island, Kowloon, Sha Tin and Tai Po. The Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society says the government should consider allowing short-term restrictions in marine traffic after a second whale was spotted in Hong Kong in as many months. And buildings department inspectors are scheduled to examine a home in Tai Tam's Red Hill Peninsula today after being granted a court warrant. They were earlier refused entry to parts of the property where illegal structures are suspected. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Extreme weather. Severe landslides. A chain of disasters. Don't think this kind of disaster only happens in movies. In recent years, extreme weather has caused severe landslides around the world. So please, listen out for landslip warnings. If disaster strikes, everyone could be in danger. We should cooperate with the government's emergency response plans. Our bustling and vibrant city arises from the boundless flow of fresh air. We are enjoying the best air quality since Hong Kong's return to the motherland. Thanks to the government's allocation of resources and joint efforts of the public in reducing air pollutant concentrations. The government is reviewing the air quality objectives. Please visit aqoreview.hk on or before October 31st to learn more and share your opinions. Bring a fresh perspective to Hong Kong. Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Denny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Kaha. In the second half of our show, we're going to be continuing the discussion about uh, the uh, ransomware attack on Cyberport. Um, uh, later on, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, redevelopment of the northern metropolis and the uh, conservation impact of that. Our guest, as we continue the discussion, uh, still with us is Emil Chan from the Association of Cloud and Computing Professionals um, and adjunct professor at City University, and Sean Duker from uh, Regional Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. We're also now joined by Anthony Lai. Anthony Lai is a malware ex uh, analyst and a security incident responder at Hong Kong-based cybersecurity firm VX Research. Uh, good morning, Mr. Lai. Welcome to Backchat. 
Oh, good morning. You know, morning you've been uh, you've been quite outspoken. This is not the first radio program you've appeared on, and you've been quite outspoken on uh, other radio programs about how Cyberport has handled this incident. So tell us more, please. Be, be, because not many many people would talk about malware in <laughs> in these days in Hong Kong. You know. Okay, you know, t- tell us. You, you've been very critical, haven't you, of Cyberport? So ex- explain why well, your criticisms of how Cyberport handled this. Uh, actually, right now is I think the Cyberport. Um, because at, at least they, they know it's a very good for that for the lineup for the Palo Alto. Um, uh, nice to meet you, Song here. Um, because we have uh, they have identified the Unit Forty Two research team already identified the IP address and of the ransomware uh, server in the March. But that's why I, I really want to see government, Cyberport, Hong Kong management company to to work with the Palo Alto to see. To, to reconfirm whether the latest IP address of the trigoner. But I think it's very challenging because the IP address can be changed from time to time to see whether any possibility for the law enforcement to get take down the trigoner serve the, the ransomware server in the before found in the um, in the Panama, Panama, right? So that's why uh, that's why I, I want to achieve this for the first priority. I think if they can. Proceed is good, but for typical response or management from the cyber port company, I think they, they need to consider whether they need to compensate the victims. Because the, when I look at before, look at before uh, two years ago, uh, Hong Kong government tried to uh, implement the law to uh, to qualify those penetration tester, but they didn't do any to try to establish the law to penalize those companies who leak or have a data breach. So this is quite, I mean, quite ridiculous for this. So that's why I, I do hope with this lesson, um, the government can take a lesson and try to see how to make it or align with the mainland China, the digital um, um, security laws, because even they have the data breach in, in the mainland, they also suffer the similar level of the pe- of financial penalty like the European. Um, the 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 privacy law. So this is my 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 I, I, my I, um, opinion about it. Thank you, Anthony. So uh, I I want to elaborate more. So how do you think the reputation, like Hong Kong reputation, will become after this uh, data breach? Uh, for for uh, several of my friends from Japan, from Korea, even from Australia to query, I'm out about the case, hmm. about whether it is, is how is the situation right now, they also consider whether, hey, there are rental capital in there, whether they will move in or even to consider to recommend people, uh, companies hmm. to come to Hong Kong. So that's why then they all got some kind of doubts in their mind, whether it's safe or not. Yeah. <laughs> not just of the national security law, it's simply just your basic baseline of the privacy law, you didn't maintain it, ready? So that's why, how can you convince the people to to say a good story for Hong Kong? Eh? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I tried to convince for them, say hey, this is an individual case, eh? but actually not. So when they know my laugh behind, so that's why we can't cover it up. So we need to make a bad lesson. Uh, mm. Don't do it again. Eh? This is, <laughs> they, uh, they also suggest about it, just make the law align with the international, yeah. how they penalize the data breach. This is how they moved on, right? 
Mm. So still, still with us is Emil Chan uh, from the Association of Cloud and um, Mobile Computing Professionals. Um, Emil Chan, how about that point we just heard from Anthony Lai that's suggesting maybe this incident will damage Hong Kong's international reputation as a place to come if you're a um, computing company? Did, are you concerned about that? Well, for a long time, I also wrote articles about that uh, uh, for uh, years. Uh, the situation is that uh, uh, one thing uh, is uh, it stop uh, people, individuals, from sh- uh, sharing their private uh, personal data to general public. And even the, in the past, uh, Hong Kong government just uh, urged uh, individuals not to share any data to uh, uh, the third party. Uh, it is uh, a wrong approach uh, in my eyes. Uh, uh, like uh, what uh, European Union promoted, you know, they have uh, this open banking and uh, asking uh, individuals to share the data to the authorized party, and which is governed by the GDPR. Uh, and uh, in China, uh, since the law was passed, uh, the PIPO was passed uh, end of uh, 2021, uh, we are having a problem because... Uh, uh, on one hand, uh, the connectivity between Hong Kong and China is getting closer and closer, and we are uh, promoting uh, the GBA concept, and the data flow between Hong Kong and China has to be uh, seamless. Uh, but uh, if the, uh, there's such a uh, secure law in China, and if the data being flowed to Hong Kong cannot uh, be secure up to the same level, uh, and uh, without a proper uh, uh, this uh, uh, law to govern it, and uh, and uh, we might suffer from uh, not only the international trust uh, uh, level uh, being lower, and but also uh, to maintain uh, what we are expecting, you know, to 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 allow the data uh, being flow from China to Hong Kong. So. Uh, enhance enhancement of the law is, uh, you know, uh, must uh, be carried out uh, as soon as possible. So it comes back to what you were saying in the beginning, doesn't it, um, uh, Mr. Chan? You, you really think our, our data protection law is out of date, right? It's uh, a pre-internet law. It's be it has, some changes have been made to it, but it hasn't been fundamentally rewritten to take account of the internet age. Is that right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and it has to be in line with the uh, you know the law from China. The, as far as we we have to work closer with uh, the mainland China, uh, we have to stay. We have to uh, upgrade our law up to the same level. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, what about Sean? Like you cover APAC and Japan. Do you, have you have you heard anything about the reputation thing? So look, it, to be honest, I don't think it's going to cause any issues from a reputation standpoint. I, I literally just got off a plane this morning from India, where I was the last few days, and India is the second most targeted country in the world. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of investment, a lot of people moving there, a lot of people using the services that are provided by Indian organisations. So I don't think from a reputational standpoint, it's really going to make much of a difference. Mm. Obviously, you want to make sure that you can iron out you know, the, the wild, wild west type of uh, you know, environment, which I don't think anywhere, Hong Kong is anywhere near that, but it's more around trying to create some sort of a baseline and ensure that most organisations at least are meeting some sort of minimum standard. Hmm. The next part is more around every organisation needs to go through a process of identifying what are their own crown jewels and then start to work out from there who's got access to it, how's it protected, where is it located, 
and then start to build a security program around that. Government is, is going to be sitting there from a policy, a regulatory standpoint, but I don't think we need to wait for government to, to do anything. I think it's incumbent on every organisation to think about how do they protect themselves? Mm -hmm. Because in the end, if an organisation is going to be targeted in Hong Kong or any other place around the world, it's the organisation that's going to be seen as accountable, not the, the country, not the government that's, that's around there. So I think everyone needs to make sure that they understand their role and responsibility when it comes to cybersecurity, because we've all got a part to play. T tell us a bit more about tar tar targeting by these um, uh, malware um, and um, ransomware attacks. Then uh, you just mentioned India was uh, one of the biggest targets in the world. I mean, I assume Hong Kong is quite actually quite low on the list. I mean, what kind, where where do they tend to look first um, in the terms of targeting? They're not looking at individuals as well, presumably, right? Because individuals, are, it's, it's <laughs> the, the amount you're getting for an individual, unless you, they've got a lot of cryptocurrency or something, is going to be relatively low, isn't it? Well, the, the two most uh, I just, the two most talked about threats and the, and the most common threats that we typically see are either business email compromise or ransomware. Business email compromise is all about trying to lure or, or convince someone that this is an email that came from a, a trusted source and acting on you know that particular part of you know receiving an email that says, "Hey, this is the CEO. Can you please transfer money to this particular organisation?" So trying to play on that broken process that may exist inside an organization or trying to break it anyway. And that's where we're just simply tricking a user into social engineering techniques. The other one is more ransomware, which is really allowed, uh, you know, something that's very quite vocal. It's all based on extortion. It's based on creating some sort of harassment to an organization to say, I've got you right now. And I've got, I've locked your organization right down. You can't you know, run a business. Uh, so please pay me the money, otherwise you've got no business left. And that's by design, it's meant to be a very, very noisy type of attack, whereas business email compromise is very, very quiet. Uh, and sometimes they could be watching an organization for a long time. These two types of attacks are indiscriminate in terms of who they target. Uh, it could be a small business, it could be a, a large enterprise, it could be a government. Uh, for a cybercrime group, anyone is a victim, a potential victim, and everyone is a target. Okay, um, and uh, how about uh, Anthony Lai's uh, point earlier? He was making saying that um, actually uh, this um, the, these this, this ransomware group uh, Tri Tri Trigona, uh, their IP address was known, and perhaps it should have been blocked um, to stop these kind of attacks. Yeah, look, it, it, it's hard to sort of really ascertain. I think we, um, no doubt we will find out a little bit more as you know, the organisation does their own investigation. But the net result is. Every organization that is a victim, I think we should always think about how do we ensure that we can get them over the the bad day or the bad week they're effectively having. You know, I always want to see the victim win. And that, I think that's the big thing. How do we ensure that that organization could effectively learn from you know, what's taken place? Uh, because this could actually happen to every organization. And the reality is it's not a question of, you know, if it's going to happen to an organization, it's more a question of when. So ensuring that others are prepared, ensuring that others know what to do when the event of something going wrong. Uh, sometimes it could be a misconfiguration. It could be some sort of lax policy that may have been in place. It could be a range of different things. Uh, but a lot of the times it's going to come down to what do you actually do if something does happen? How do we limit that blast radius, so to speak, where it's only sort of um, isolated to a particular area and not you know, system-wide or completely organisational-wide? 
Uh, let's go back to Anthony Lai. Anthony Lai, um, uh, yesterday you were saying that Cyberport should have uh, performed regular penetration tests and repaired relevant security measures, and there were loopholes from two or three years ago that um, yeah. Cyberport... Can you expand a bit more on that? Yeah, because um, I'm referring to different kinds of um, technical analysis board, um, even like Tremico, Pedro Alto, or even for ourselves, we analyzed the Trigona, um, the malware itself, then actually it's abuse um, and manipulate the vulnerabilities of some misconfiguration of the uh, remote control, remote desktop, and also kinds of um, database, um, Microsoft SQL database misconfiguration, and also the server one. And so that's why then those other vulnerability or even say misconfiguration, is it happens for at least one, a few years ago. When somewhere against, they worked with each other, they will share the intelligence underground by between themselves. At the same time, they will try to abuse some kinds of long-established vulnerabilities or misconfiguration. For those, I could say, it's low-hanging fruit, low-hanging fruit to, for, to exploit. But they have paid a lot of patience to do this uh, very high or high-weight, very expensive penetration test for the victim company. But right now, they, so that's why then when I find the research and analyze the samples, this is quite um, interest, quite interesting that they should they can patch it if they do the penetration test or volatility assessment like other official government department because a lot of the government departments they will carry out at least one to two times uh, penetration tests and uh, security assessment for every year. Then they could and see whether the system or the vulnerabilities can be patched. So I, I could I can't say we can we can eliminate every possibilities for the ransomware infection, because as Sean mentioned, it could be infected through the social engineering or phishing other uh, in other uh, human vectors other than just the system vulnerabilities. However, then at least we can reduce a great deal of the vulnerabilities for our experience dealing with different customers. Some are really, really, the situation is bad is they didn't patch updates this, the server for a few years. And what they, they, they have no data backup. So they are forced to out of business if didn't pay the ransom. So we, we help them to pay the ransom and then do the, and decrypt the data. And then afterwards they back to the business. <laughs> so they learned from the tough lesson then we have found it out that those ransomware against is not really advanced. They simply pay a lot of time to study a single target or different target to find out any classic or old vulnerabilities they have in their server. Okay, we've been talking about ransomware all morning. One, one issue we haven't touched on is the ransoms themselves. I mean, it's, um, um, it's Cyberport hasn't said whether they, they, a ransom was demanded of um, 300,000 uh, US dollars, which is over um, 2 million Hong Kong dollars. Cyberport hasn't said whether or not um, um, uh, they, they paid it. Um, Sean Duca, you must be advising people all the time who receive um, ransom demands. I mean, what's your demand? It must be very tempting to pay the money to get, to get, get your, your data back. What, what's your advice? Absolutely. Look, many many organisations will probably make the decision based on you know what does it really mean to them. And whilst we don't you know, condone, not even condone, it's more a case of you know what is the best way forward for an organisation. You know, logically, you are funding uh, a criminal further criminal activity if you were to pay. But I also appreciate it's not one of those cut and dried decisions that you could simply say never pay, never actually um, 
you know, communicate with a, a, a cyber criminal group. Because the reality is, if they were to target a critical industry or critical infrastructure organisation, that potentially has the issue to, uh, yeah, to loss of life if, if someone was to shut down a system that you know, needs to be up uh, all the time. So it really comes down to a case-by-case basis. And I think this is where an organisation needs to work out what are the crown jewels, what uh, are they doing to protect themselves, and, and how far would they actually go in the event of something going wrong? You know, what would you do? Would you pay? Would you not? Uh, if you did pay, you know, how would you do it? Because uh, many times organisations may end up making the decision to pay, but they have no fundamental way of working out how do I buy the, the virtual currency or the cryptocurrency that's needed to make that payment. And I think this is where they need to start working out and, and plan for the day today. You, know, you should always be thinking about how you work with law enforcement because sometimes we've seen organisations pay and get absolutely nothing back in return. Uh, you are dealing with a criminal at the end, so there's no you know, honesty amongst thieves or anything like that. Um, so I think that that's a key part. Okay, so very cautionary advice there from uh, Sean Duker, who's a vice president and a regional chief security officer for APAC and Japan at uh, Palo Alto Networks. Our, our thanks also uh, to uh, Emil Chan, who's the chair of the Association of Cloud and Mobile Computing Professionals and adjunct professor at the City University of Hong Kong. And also to Anthony Lai, uh, malware analyst and security incident responder at Hong Kong-based cybersecurity firm VX Research. Stay with us. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, RTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat. In the closing segment of the uh, this morning's uh, show, we're going to be looking at uh, the conservation implications of uh, the Northern Metropolis development. The Northern Tr- Metropolis development, of course, is one of the government's biggest projects in, in the coming year years. Um, and there has, the government has talked about uh, conservation implications in relation to farmland, uh, um, or not, not so much in, in relation to farmland, in relation to fish ponds. Uh, they have talked about conservation measures there. But um, researchers at the uh, Kuduri Farm uh, say, Say that um, not nearly has been done enough been done to actually look at the implications for farmland and particularly suggesting that uh, the farmland in the future northern metropolis includes sites a uh, habitat for over a quarter of um, Hong Kong's bird species. They said they actually spotted 154 species there. Uh, joining us uh, to explain more about these research findings is uh, Philip Lowe, who's a Senior Conservation Officer at Kuduri uh, Conservation China Programme at Kuduri Farm and uh, Botanic Garden. Good morning, Mr Lowe. Welcome to Backchat. Good morning. Okay. So uh, tell us a bit more about uh, your, your findings and your concern. Um, like, we actually, uh, like as, as you uh, introduced, like we did a... Uh, uh, biodiversity study uh, in the uh, Lofton metropolis uh, region and uh, we actually like selected um, nine sites for for the survey and we tried to focus on bird species because like uh, bird species uh, uh, people uh, usually use it as an indicator for um, environmental quality so uh, we, we use it as a our target species for for this study, and um, after a year-long survey, uh, as as you said, like we 
I find quite a lot of uh, bird species in this area, and I. Uh, over uh, one fourth of uh, Hong Kong local bird species, and uh, we also find like uh, 66 species of, of of them are of conservation concern, and uh, and then we like we we try to um, prioritize the the uh, ecological importance of these sites. So we um, created a. A scoring matrix and based on four criteria, uh, which are like habitat size and then habitat diversity, bird species richness, and the species of conservation concern. And um, the result is uh, like the top three, um, I mean, like most uh, ecological important uh, sites are uh, the Sandy Ridge Wetland Mosaic, which is uh, near Lowu, and and then uh, another two, uh, Chowtin, Leok, and uh, the Taipotin's uh, Sankaiwat uh, areas. Uh, the, and and these these two farmland areas are located in uh, Takuling uh, region. Yeah, and um, and then like. Uh, we we like we actually like uh, we we find quite a lot of uh, bird species and and uh, so there are some highlight species such as the uh, uh, yellow-breasted bunting, which is considered as critically endangered uh, by the IUCN red list, and um, we we find it in in uh, more than one site and um, and actually like bunting is uh, is the group of birds that are very vulnerable to. Um, Habitat change in it. like they are farmland dependent species, so uh, they really need uh, farmland to to survive. And uh, we find, uh, except the yellow-breasted bunting, we find uh, several other bunting species uh, at at the survey site. So uh, that that actually demonstrate the importance of these sites to to uh, these bunting species. And and uh, we also like we find the um, uh, a species that is. Uh, uh, associated with uh, red farmland, which is the greater painter's life. Uh, this species is actually a uh, like very iconic um, uh, species that are uh, associated with um, red farmland and also wetland. And uh, it used to be quite common in Hong Kong, but uh, the researcher uh, find that like it experienced a drastic decline in Hong Kong since the uh, 1960s, uh, probably because of the uh, like the paddy field. Uh, uh, has uh, become less and less uh, since that time, and so the, the remaining, remaining farm, uh, red farmland in the northern metropolis could provide a vital breeding ground for, for this locally endangered species. And uh, there's another uh, interesting finding, like uh, we actually like found a, a species called actually wood swallow, which uh, uh, is a a very rare local species. Uh, the, the the one we found is the uh, third record of Hong Kong. So um, yeah, so so probably uh, uh, the farmland in northern metropolis is uh, very important to them also. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you for telling us about like the uh, endanger and where species. Uh, 
can be found in that area, but all the time actually the um, like developing about mm. the urban development, actually the urban development and like conserving the agricultural or like, farmland, this kind of like topic has always been there. So mm-hmm. uh, how do you think like you can persuade or actually like tell the people, tell the government that it is important to ha- have our own land or like own where like species to 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 maybe like attract attract like uh, tourism or and other educational development like how how can you like try to say that um uh i would say like actually the people in hong kong they they are quite concerned about conservation and and in the uh government's address uh, they put uh, quite a lot of effort on uh, like wetland and then uh fish pond uh conservation but uh, interesting, like they, they uh, the, the farmland conservation is uh, uh, ignored in in mm-hmm. in the um, address this and, and it, yeah. like they, they 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 like farmland to them is like a, a land reserve for development rather yeah. than they, they they just overlook the uh, conservation value or the biodiversity uh, in in this kind of habitat and. Um, and your question, like, um, yeah, because why, like, why, we, yeah. why we need these kind of, uh, uh, like, habitat or, or why, yes. why we need to conserve farmland? Uh, like, it's simply because, like, the, the existing uh, protected area system, uh, it doesn't cover this kind of habitat. Mm-hmm. And there are actually a lot of species that uh, they are deep, depending on this kind of uh, the land. Land, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, you you can find uh, nowhere like they mm-hmm. they other other than farmland. Like you won't find you won't find them in woodland in in mangrove because they they what they need is farmland or, or open country habitat. So um, if you want to um, preserve the like uh, in crack, uh, um, like um, how to say. Um, Integrity uh, of uh, biodiversity, so we, we have to in- include farmland uh, with like this kind of uh, open country ecosystem in in our protected area system. Yeah, okay, sure. we're we're almost out of time, but just 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 quickly, it's not just about birds. I saw your study also mentioned dragonflies, butterflies, and even reptiles in these areas, right? Yeah, um, uh, but but. Uh, we, when we survey them, it's not as uh, systematic as our first survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think this this uh, information will be a good reference for uh, future as a baseline information. Yeah. Okay. And you are hopeful that the government will listen to your survey findings? Uh, sure. Like uh, we we uh, like KF, KFBG has another team working on uh, labouring the government, and I hope this report will be a useful tool to push the government to do more on farmland conservation in the future. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, That was uh, Philip Lowe, who's the uh, Senior Conservation Officer for uh, Kadori Conservation China Programme in Kadori Farm and Botanic Garden, drawing the uh, this morning's uh, programme to a close. Uh, Thank you also to my uh, co-host, Carr. Thank Um, you. Janice and Phil will be here tomorrow, so join us again for Backchat tomorrow.